And welcome to another episode of what I like to call from nonsense to God sense. We take a look at the things in this world, usually the nutty things, but it could be just about anything. And we take a look at them through a biblical perspective. And I'm joined with uh, Dan Delzell. He is an author of articles and writings at the Christian Post online. ChristianPost.com is where you can find his writings and also a pastor of a church in Papillion, Nebraska. And, and Dan, we're still living in some crazy times since the last time we talked. And so I thought it'd be kind of maybe a good topic to talk about is something that you had written about, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, which for anybody that has been involved in, in church in any aspect, it's a part of the Lord's prayer when God taught us to pray, when Jesus taught his disciples to pray and then us to pray. You know, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And it's kind of an interesting thing because I've heard many different, I guess, uh, sermons, talks, lectures on exactly what that means. And so people like to get really theological about it. But when you take a look at it, sometimes it's just a simple prayer and a simple request that we give to God. So I thought something that we could maybe delve into a little bit today is thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Well, son, it's a great topic, and it's just uh, super to be back with you again today. And, uh, boy, I sure look forward to us diving into this topic, because like you say, it's in the Lord's Prayer. It's just such a a crucial part of Christian discipleship. And as you were saying that, son, what what, what was just going through my mind is just, what a beautiful act of, of humility. What a beautiful attitude of humility. Whenever a, a person um, will say to God, you know, Lord, it's about your kingdom. And so, you know, the prayer isn't um, my kingdom come, my will be done. Um, interestingly, that is where Lucifer's heart went after he'd been created as a, as a holy angel, one of God's top angels, if you will. Uh, and, uh, and yet, his heart became proud. He wanted it to become about his kingdom. He wanted to establish a kingdom, which, you know, you could say in that sense, he, he, he succeeded in a sense of doing that, didn't he? Uh, there is now a kingdom of darkness uh, that, that, uh, that Lucifer uh, began with his rebellion. And, and we as human beings being born in sin, you know, son, um, it's natural for any of us, uh, apart from Christ in us, working in us, the Holy Spirit working in us and through us. It's natural for any of us to gravitate toward that, my kingdom come, my will be done. And, and so anytime a person senses that welling up within them, it's like, well, welcome to yourself. Welcome to the world of self. Welcome to the world of that comes natural to all of us. And whereas Christianity invades that, that selfish, natural inclination we have, and it brings the kingdom of God into our lives and into our hearts. And what a difference that makes. You know, it's interesting. Last week we talked about the um, divine power for, versus supernatural magic, and in other conversations we've had, it always comes down to God or us serving God versus self, denying self. Yes. And in this case, too, it's the same thing. You're looking at either doing God's will or allowing Him to do His will through us, or we doing our own will. And there's that battle line again drawn in the sand. What are we going to do? Are we going to follow and do thy will or are we going to do my will? It always does come back to that, doesn't it, Son? And, and you know, let, let's take, for example, uh, a person who does not yet know the Lord. Um, in, in order for a person to become a Christian, it, it's necessary to get into that frame of mind, that, that willing heart, that spirit of repentance, 
where by the grace of God working in you, as, as you, uh, you know, heard the word of God, maybe it, it was, a, you know, a preacher uh, preaching it, or maybe it was, you know, someone talking to you about Christianity, but you began to hear God's call into this, this Christian life, this life with Jesus. And, and what you start to hear is, um, you know, he, he desires to be not only your savior, but also your Lord. So um, we can't separate those two. It's not possible for a person to say, well, I'll take Jesus as my savior. But I, I, I think that Lord thing, I kind of got that handled. Um, I, I'm kind of doing my own kingdom thing pretty well. But as long as he can kind of, you know, ride in on a, on a stallion and forgive my sins. And then, you know, I'll have my life, my goals, my agenda, my will, my kingdom. And plus, I got forgiveness of sins on the side. Well, obviously, it doesn't work that way. Um, a person can either accept Christ as Lord and Savior of their life. They can receive Jesus by faith, and they'll be forgiven on the front end. I mean, we all we all worst on all of us who who know Christ today. Uh, we didn't have to like jump through some hoops and then show the Lord how how good we would be at obedience before He forgive us. We got those goods on the front end, but but on the front end, uh, it was necessary that there be both repentance and faith. That requires a humility. And, and that's not easy for us as human beings because we want to call the shots. Uh, we want to hang on to control. You know, anytime, you know, you hear somebody use the phrase, well, you know, that person's a control freak. Or maybe says, you know, I'm kind of a control freak. What are they saying? Well, what were they saying? You know, either that person or I, if it's me, I, I find it very difficult to not be in control. And, and I think that's natural, Son. We want to be in control, but if there's anything, that is showing us how we are not in control. I would say it's this coronavirus. Uh, nobody's in control of that. I mean, a lot of people are working on it, but it's just a reminder to us that um, if we need God for something as significant as a virus in, in the body that, that spreads so quickly and, and is so infectious, then how much more do we need the Lord when it comes to the virus in our soul? And the sin that we all have, we inherited it from our parents, um, it began with Lucifer's rebellion in heaven, and boy, it's gone worldwide. So if we think the coronavirus is widespread, it is, but sin, uh, you know, entered the world through one man, the Bible says, and death through sin, and it's been around a whole lot longer than the coronavirus. Yeah, you mentioned the virus, but you also write in the article, Thy, will be, thy Kingdom Come, Thy Will Be Done, which can be found on the Christian Post. You talk about when we asked God about his will being done. Thy will be done in the family, or thy kingdom come in the family. Thy kingdom come in the church. Thy kingdom come in our lives. And then you also write, you know, thy kingdom come in the gifts that you have to help me serve others. And there's no time like the present, especially, when we can use those gifts for his kingdom to come here on earth in serving others. I'm reminded of a a story uh, of a a family I know. They're from India. And when... um, missionaries were going to India back in the early days of evangelism in India. They did not come and they did not just Bible thump. What they did was they got into the community and they started serving the community. They let their actions speak for them. And then this curiosity started to develop in the uh, local people. And they wanted to know why these missionaries were different than maybe some of the other people in their, uh, in their area in their towns yeah. and stuff. And then, and then once they started to develop that to relationship through their actions, whatever it was, then they started to witness and Bible thump. And so yeah. this is an area where we can 
utilize our gifts to serve others and to help others and just by example let the love of Christ come through to other people. And then maybe that gets people's attention. And then later on, they'll come to us and be like, hey, during this coronavirus, I noticed you weren't panicking. I noticed you helped me with some essentials. I noticed you did this and this. And other people around yeah. us were really freaking out. Why was yeah. it that you were so calm? Why was it that you were so peaceful? Why was it that yeah. you weren't worried about being in control? What what, what was going on? Yeah. Now it provides yeah. an opportunity, like you mentioned, to let us explain why it is that we we're confident or maybe peaceful or whatever we were feeling to them yeah. because God's kingdom was in control. He was in control and we were just praying thy kingdom come through this coronavirus. Well, I tell you, son, um, that is exactly what we see go on all the time. Um, now it's difficult. It's difficult for us as Christians to respond to difficult situations with, with that kind of, of humility and grace. Uh, but it is what the world's looking for, isn't it? And, and it's what we are striving for as Christians. I mean, we all hope to be able to, um, to, be able to demonstrate the kind of grace and faith uh, in, in some of the great heroes and, and examples and, and things that we hear, just like what you were talking about there. You know, I, I often think of a, of a story I heard by, uh, from uh, Pastor Ben Hayden, who was a Presbyterian minister, uh, he, he had a program called Changed Lives, and uh, he had been a former journalist, uh, I believe uh, maybe also a lawyer, but he had such a dynamic, uh, just very deep, profound way of presenting the message. Um, and uh, anyway, Ben Hayden told the story one time of a, uh, of a husband and a wife who, he was a pastor, and they had just had their, their next child, I don't remember if it was their only child, uh, or, uh, they already had children, but anyway, um, so she gave birth to this child and the husband, the pastor was told some information before the wife knew, um, that their child had been born with some serious, um, uh, disabilities. And it just was going to be very, very challenging for anyone then who is, uh, basically finding themselves then with this child that um, is far from, from healthy, far from the, you know, the, the, the perfect uh, health that we, we, we hope for with, with a child. But be that as it may, uh, the, the pastor then uh, went into his wife uh, and, and he told her, he said, he said, honey, he said, we've been blessed um, uh, by the Lord with this child uh, who has these, these uh, things going on. And, um, and yet we don't know the nature of the blessing, which is an awfully remarkable way to, um, to handle things there in, in, in the moment. Um, well, she proceeded to uh, get on the phone with her mother and she told her mother, you know, she said, Hey, you know, we've been blessed by the Lord with, with our, our baby. And, and here are the, the, uh, the health issues, the uh, mental and physical issues that are um, going to, you know, be a challenge now going forward. Uh, but we don't know the nature of the blessing. Well, as it turned out, this was back in the days, son, where at that hospital, um, they had a switchboard. And the operator was able, if she wanted to, uh, to listen in on phone conversations. And so she was listening to this one um, with, with uh, real intent to find out, let's see now how these Christians respond. They're, they're going to wilt under this. They're going to just uh, cave in. And uh, anyway, she heard this. And uh, lo and behold, that next Sunday at the, uh, at the church uh, there where the pastor was serving, um, Ben Hayden said that there were 70 nurses 
from that hospital then who attended the worship service that day and that uh, 30 of them gave their lives to Christ at the end of the message. Now, there's a case where um, the Lord used something with a very, very imperfect, um, difficult, physical challenge now for this little one and for uh, the parent. Um, and it's very challenging to understand, you know, how that could come about. Um, other than just to realize that um, sin has, has brought imperfection, even death, ultimately to our bodies, but, but also disease and, 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 and other things, other disabilities. Uh, but, but what it shows us is that not only is the Lord able to take something like that and use it to his glory, but, but we have to be reminded that this little one is precious in God's sight. Um, this little one, while the world would merely maybe pity this little one or, or the, and the parents, um, I mean, first of all, we know that, that every precious one like that, when he or she gets to heaven, they're not going to have any disability of any kind. And so, so yes, it seems, um, it seems difficult for us to know why God would allow something like that to happen. Um, but then we have to be encouraged by the fact that, first of all, this little one, um, is certainly precious in God's sight. And, and just think of the, uh, beautiful body and mind that that little one will have in heaven as Jesus protects that, 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 that little one. Um, and, and think about the ability the parents will have to rejoice with, um, now their, their son or daughter. Uh, although, you know, not to say that those relationships will be exactly the same in heaven as far as, you know, parents, but, but just to say that we will know our loved ones, you know, we'll know our loved ones in heaven. And, uh, and then on top of all that, um, you know, how about these 30 nurses uh, being in heaven one day to rejoice? How about there, anybody then that they led to Christ? So, you know, if we get too hung up on, you know, why would God allow this to happen? Well, we're going to kind of end up with, with some um, unanswered questions. But instead, if we say uh, to go to kind of the point you made a moment ago, son, if we as Christians, by God's grace, can speak in all things to say, Lord, thy will be done, even when I'm, I'm um, dealt a hand that you've allowed me to be dealt that I would have never asked for, um, Lord, you are still on the throne. You are still loving and kind and good and merciful and eternal. And so, boy, this husband and his wife, the way they responded, son, looked at how it rippled out to reach many, many others. So, um, it, yeah, it, it's, it's amazing uh, how when, when we, when we walk in grace, uh, how then others notice that. And, and many times they, they want to, they want to receive that kind of power. Then it's like, how in the world could this couple respond that way? I'm sure the operator was thinking that. And then the word spread across the hospital and, you know, did you hear about, you know, this pastor and his wife, et cetera, et cetera. So, uh, I thought that story Ben Hayden told was very, very uh, powerful, and it still lives on today. Dan Delzell with me. We're talking about uh, Thy Kingdom Come, Thy Will Be Done, an article written on the Christian Post. And, you know, I guess that's one thing that we can take from it. It's it's a hard thing to to digest some of these hard things, hardships that we go through, but we don't know the nature of the blessing and what that's going to be like. And if we take that approach, then... Maybe, like you said, it helps us kind of get through the process. Not going to be easy, but it helps us get through the process of having that will be done, having that kingdom come. Because we don't know what that's going to be. And if we take that approach, then it might be 
uh, a way to kind of help us get there. One of the things that uh, I want to ask you, just maybe for some yeah. clarification, because we've been talking about the last couple times, kind of my will versus thy will type of thing, us yeah. self versus God and his design for us. But then, mm-hmm. you know, we had a conversation one time because I recently lost a job. And so we were talking about prayer and we we're talking about asking for things, asking for, yeah. you know, Lord, I need a job. Help me get in the right job. Or Lord, I need this. Help me do this. Or this is what I desire. Or, this is what I would like. Or, you know, we make requests. And we talked yeah. about the conversation about do we have to actually make those requests or can we just believe those requests to come true because yeah. God knows our heart. And so we had that conversation. But when it comes mm-hmm. to this, thy will be done, when we're praying, thy will be done, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, how does it balance yeah. for those that might be listening and thinking about, okay, well, if I request something, then that's mm-hmm. my will, and I'm yeah. supposed to ask about thy will. So how do we balance the two between our petition yeah. for requests in prayer versus our asking God for his will and his kingdom to be done? You know, that's a great question, Son, and, and I think one of the, the, the Bible verses that that we end up getting directed to as we start to grow in the Lord and, and wonder this exact thing that you're asking is a verse in First John that says, this is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us, and if we know that He hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we have asked of Him. Now, that, that little clause in there, according to his will, okay, we can know. So there are certain things that we know are God's will. For example, God wants all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. So if we're praying for the salvation of a friend, a friend, family member, you know, um, we can know that's God's will and pray with absolute confidence. We don't have to pray, Lord, uh, please save my, uh, my, my Uncle John, you know, from his sins. Have him meet Christ if it be thy will. You don't have to pray if it be thy will. God's already told us. That is his will. Or, for example, you're saying, you know, Lord, please give me more patience with my with my family, if it be thy will. You don't have to pray that. Of course that's God's will. Every time. Uh, Lord, please grant me more joy in the midst of adversity, if it be thy will. That's always God's will. Now, uh, here's one, though, that's a little bit different. Lord, please deliver me from this adversity by Saturday, if it be thy will. Now, their son is an example where it's uh, highly appropriate to say, if it be thy will, because we find situations where God does not always deliver his children by Saturday. He doesn't always do it. We, we don't know why this side of heaven, why, why uh, many times we are delivered or not delivered by a certain time. But when we're praying, uh, you know, to go to your question, when, when we're praying, Lord, um, thy will be done, um, it's important that we know the Word of God, because the more we know in the Word, the, the more we're going to know God, the more we're going to be able to pray um, with faith and, and certainty on certain things that we know God wants. But, but then on those areas where we're not sure what God's timetable might be, or if God you know, wants to provide that, that new job, or, or this person is a spouse, or, or whether or not God wants to open up this other door for this you know, new ministry, or whatever it might be, um, you know, those are things that we always want to just lay at the Lord's feet, as it were, and, and say, Lord, you know, uh, this seems to me like this would be a wonderful thing. But Lord, I don't know uh, what your plan is exactly on this for me. And, and so um, it's not a lack of faith in those situations at all, Son, to pray, uh, Lord, not my will, but thine be done. Because if it was, how about when our Lord, you know, prayed to his Father in the midst of his agony, you know, Father, if it be possible, may this cup be taken from me as, as Christ is there on the cross. And yet he adds, 
and yet not my will, but 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 thine be done there in the in the Garden of Gethsemane as he's as he's praying that there are other prayers I should say on the on the cross of course that that he was praying um you know when there were there when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane in the agony that that he was going through um you know Father if it, if it be possible may this be be taken from me so um Jesus submitted himself there he you know he, he basically was saying Father you know is this really necessary for us to go all the way you know, uh, to the cross. Is this really necessary to, um, to have to be completed? And, and he was feeling that agony. And yet, uh, at the end of the day, at, at the end of that prayer, you know, uh, even Jesus was submitting to his father. And of course he completed his mission uh, on the cross. He, he completed what uh, the father had given him to do. And Hey, look at the benefits that we get, uh, because Jesus went all the way, even though it was tougher than we'll ever know. Yeah, you're right. God doesn't work on our timetable. He has a plan that he will execute perfectly for the highest, greatest good of all and for his ultimate glory in order to keep in step with the spirit, which comes from Galatians 5.25. So like you said, sometimes his timetable and our timetable don't merge. And then that's another challenge that we have to just kind of go back to thy will be done, thy will be done, because God in his perfect timing will then answer the prayer. Well, he answers the prayers he works on our heart, you know, son. Um, it's been said by, you know, some very mature Christians over the centuries that, that really the ultimate purpose of prayer is not getting things from God, but getting to know God, getting closer to God. Um, many times, um, you know, it's the unanswered prayers that, that draws closer to the Lord if we'll continue to trust the Lord in the midst of them. It, it's the times when we don't get what we're asking for. Uh, and the other aspect of this, son, is, uh, for example, when the Bible says, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. I think when we're young in the faith, I know this, I certainly um, used to think of it um, this way, as many probably do. Well, great. You know, I know the things that I would like the Lord to give me, so I'm just going to delight myself in him, and he's going to give me those things. You know, that's what we assume that verse is saying. But if we stop and look at it, um, what we realize is this. If we truly are delighting ourselves in the Lord, then who knows what changes he's going to be working in our hearts? Who knows how our desires might change? And who knows, son, when we might turn that corner in our faith and in spiritual maturity, where now our highest goal is not some of those things that we started out praying for that we assumed if we delighted ourselves and already give us. Now our deepest desire is to know him better. I mean, the Apostle Paul could even go on to say, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his suffering. I mean, who says that? Who prays that? Who desires that? Uh, I mean, you have to be so deep in faith and so close to the Lord that it, that it is so not about your will where you might even desire to, if necessary, experience um, whatever adversity or suffering God might give so that it will break you even further from trusting in self. I mean, that's kind of an off-the-chart sort of prayer. You know, it's almost like those in Hebrews, that, uh, you know, when it talks about in the great uh, faith chapter of all those who, who did these things by faith, and it talked about those who refused to be released when they were, you know, being so mistreated. They refused to be released so that they might gain a better resurrection. And um, it's like, how can you even process that that, that they were, um, you know, really believing God's promise, you know, bless you and then persecute you and, and do all these things against you for great is your reward in heaven. I mean, when you've gone that deep with the Lord, 
where you desire nothing but his glory, nothing but his will in your life. I mean, that that is really um, very, very uh, way down the road in terms of spiritual maturity. And, and when we're first getting started, those Christians, it's kind of like, you know, Christianity light. Uh, and there, you know, certainly, you know, preachers uh, around that will offer Christianity light and they'll kind of offer this idea that, well, you know, you can believe in Jesus and, and he'll give you everything you want, you know. And, uh, oh, great. <laughs> but the problem is a lot of the things we want and certainly anything we want in the flesh, it's not going to be best for us. It's not going to be best for others. Um, so, you know, Jesus is not a genie in a bottle. You don't rub the lamp and, and get to make three wishes. You know, and any preacher who, you know, and they, they talk about, you know, health and wealth preachers or prosperity preachers. This is what they preach. They preach the genie in the bottle Jesus. They don't leave people in the spiritual depth. They, 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 and we, we've actually talked about this, Son, and, and they had a whole program on it and, uh, and how they, um, you know, what they do is they, they prey on the fleshly desires that we all have and, and then we're trying to maybe not tap into, but boy, if you had a preacher up there holding a Bible telling you, not only can you hang on to those desires for personal wealth and, and, and personal, you know, all this stuff, um, but just believe God for it. You're not believing hard enough for it. And, and so think how far that is, son, from biblical faith, biblical maturity, which is deeply rooted in not only the gospel message of salvation, but right flowing from that the desire to see Christ magnified, Christ lifted up, um, Christ glorified, the Lord's will to be done. And if you have a so-called preacher who's flashing all of these material things in front of uh, people who are listening, I mean, that could not be further from the message Jesus presented than, than, than what some of those guys uh, and others are doing today. Yeah, you mentioned uh, the prosperity gospel. If I could just take a moment. Again, we're talking with Dan Delzell, and he writes uh, articles for the uh, ChristianPost.com. You can just go to the ChristianPost.com, and you can search Dan Delzell, and all his articles come up. This one today happens to be uh, uh, Thy Kingdom Come, Thy Will Be Done. But we've talked about uh, different things in the past uh, in our conversations, and I just want to let people know that if you're interested in going to find out uh, more about the things we've talked about, including the prosperity gospel like Dan mentioned, you can go to Podbean. P-O-D-B-E-A-N.com, and just search Edom Rocks Radio, E-I-D-E-M-R-O-C-K-S Radio.com, and then you can find all of our conversations there, and things are in the works to make it more user-friendly to find these uh, conversations, or you can just go to Facebook, Facebook.com, and then my name, Son Edom, S-O-N-N-E-I-D-E-M, and I list them, uh, post them there as well. And so, uh, again, as we have these conversations and we talk and we make references to these uh, prior conversations, just want to let people know that, you know, you can either go to the ChristianPost.com and search Dan Delzell, and you get the articles that we talk about, or you can go to Podbean and search Edom Rocks Radio and all of our conversations are there as well. So that way people can kind of, you know, follow along if they're wondering or wanting more information about some of the stuff that we've talked about in the past. Um, one of the things that uh, that we write or that you, you write in the article referencing Ephesians 4.30 is uh, something that is kind of interesting because it talks about do not say things or do things or dwell on things that grieve and quench the Holy Spirit's work in your life as a Christian. Do not grieve yeah. the Holy Spirit of God. And I think a lot of times we do get into certain situations where we start to uh, just dwell on those things, you know, dwell on something that takes us away from the will of God. But, uh, yeah. but also when it talks about this grieving the Holy Spirit, 
What does yeah. that actually mean? Because, you know, when I think of grieving, I think of mourning, yeah. like there's been a loss. Yeah. And so I'm going to grieve. Yeah. And so what is actually that grieving yeah. of the Holy yeah. Spirit as referred to in Ephesians? Well, thank you for that, Son. You know, here would be a way, I guess, that we could look at that and think of that. Um, and, and for anybody listening today, and, and you and I, of course, included in this, Son, and that is, let's all try to think of a situation or a time when we had so given our heart to someone. Maybe it was our parent. Maybe it was somebody that we were, were dating or had married. Uh, maybe it was someone else that we had just really given our, our, our life to. And then that person, um, with us being in a very vulnerable position in the sense that our heart is now open to them. I mean, you know, if you're going to love them fully, you have to open up your heart. So that's the, the benefit of it. But you're, there's also a risk because it, it, if you are now more vulnerable to be hurt by them if they were to, um, to do something offensive. And, and so think about a time when maybe someone that you'd open your heart to um, hurt you or offended you, um, or they said something that it's like, wow, why would they say that? And you were so hurt. You were so grieved, okay? Now, that's one human being grieving another human being. Now, when Ephesians 4.30 talks about grieving the Holy Spirit, we're talking about um, the living God, the third person of the Trinity, who is perfect in holiness and love and perfection, along with the Father and the Son. So when he comes to live within a believer, as he does within every believer, you know, at the moment of conversion, your body becomes the temple of the Holy Spirit, okay? So when we speak things that are um, not of the Lord, by that I mean, you know, uh, e evil, evil speech, hurtful speech, um, you know, uh, sinful speech, when we say things, when we do things, um, we can and do have many times grieve the Holy Spirit. Why? Because he loves us so much. And, and he has, he's given himself to us. Uh, but, but, you know, you don't have a more intimate relationship uh, with, with the Lord than the Lord coming to live inside your soul, within your heart, within your body, um, your body becoming his temple. Okay. So, you know, it, it's really ironic, I guess, Simon, when sometimes, you know, you, you know, and as a pastor now for 30 years, you know, over the years, once in a while, you know, you'll be in a situation where may, maybe somebody will say, well, boy, you know, I, I, I shouldn't use those words in church or this or that. And, and, and you know, you, you know what people mean by that, of course. But, but the thing that I always think about with that is, well, you know, every believer is in church 24-7. I, I mean, what's a building that you walk into and have an hour worship service in compared to your body? I mean, yeah, we ask God to meet with us in that building you know, that's over there on such and such street. But guess what? You were in church before you ever got to that building if you're a Christian. And God was a lot closer to you because he, he didn't go, don't get any closer than this. So, so by grieving the Holy Spirit then, uh, it, it kind of pushes him away somewhat. Not, not that he, you know, oh, I'm getting out of here, um, but, but that when we grieve him, uh, it definitely diminishes his influence in our heart. Um, it's offensive to God. And if that doesn't bother us, if it doesn't bother us that it's hurting the Lord, then there's a problem, a big problem. I mean, there's not much love then. How could there be much love in our heart for God if we don't care that we're grieving him? I mean, you know, but again, take it to the human level. Okay, well, I love my spouse. Well, yeah, I know I do some things that, that hurt my spouse. So I say something, does that bother you? No, not really, but I see it bothers them. Okay, well, obviously what you're saying, because out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks, whether you realize it or not, you have very little love for your spouse. You just admitted that, okay? Uh, because it doesn't bother you. It doesn't. You just, uh, now, now, um, 
this son is why it is so important that we stay close to the Lord because we're all capable of, of letting that relationship slide a bit where, where we start to lose sight of how much maybe we're grieving him uh, versus pleasing him. And the closer we are to the Lord, then the more we're going to want to, uh, as the Bible says in Ephesians, find out what pleases the Lord. And of course, the Bible is filled with things, especially go through the whole New Testament for believers today, things that please the Lord. Um, There's so many of them there, but it, but it ultimately gets down to that relationship. And, and if I love God, Jesus said, this, if you love me, you will obey my commands. Okay, so so if you love your spouse, you'll do things to try to bless your spouse and encourage your spouse and 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 be a be an encourager to your spouse. If you love the Lord, you obey him. Uh, well, I don't really care about obeying the Lord. Well, okay, you just admitted you don't love the Lord. There's no way you can love the Lord if you don't care about disobeying him. I think that's one of the things that we kind of lose because we can't see. God is intangible. And so we lose out on that relationship aspect. And it, it is yeah. a relationship. I mean, just take, take like you mentioned, all the examples and relationships that we have physically here on earth, whether it be friendships, whether it be uh, you know, spouse or a girlfriend or you mm-hmm. know, something. Um, it's a relationship. And that's what we, I think, sometimes miss out because we can't visually see God or we can't see that relationship. But it is a relationship. It is a relationship, and we should treat it as such and go about our actions as such. And that would probably then dictate, like you mentioned, I don't want to serve God. I don't want to follow his rules. I want to do my own thing. Okay, then maybe that means you don't want to uh, be in a relationship with him. So if we look at it kind of, and I want to be careful here because I don't want to get you know bad theology, but if you kind of mix the two, we take a look at yeah. a relationship with God, but through a physical, earthly type of situation, it might help us yeah. realize where we are in our relationship with God because a lot of times we just kind of dismiss it as, I go to church, uh, yeah, I believe in God, um, yeah, I was saved at one time, and then we go about our, our way. And if we treated a friend or a spouse or a girlfriend or a child or a coworker yeah. that same way, then yeah. we would be displaying uh, relationship attributes that we don't like this person. And so maybe that kind of help will help us kind of realize or where we are in our relationship with God if we kind of use these earthly attributes when we're trying to measure how we are with him. Well, you know, Son, that is so true. And, 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 you know, you said a moment ago that you're not sure whether it's maybe wise or right to mix the two. I mean, actually, I mean, I, I, think, I think you're doing it in a very good way because when Jesus took on human flesh, he, in essence, mixed the two. Uh, well, what I mean by that is, is uh, you know, he, he, he mixed the divine with the human. And, and today Jesus is 100% God, as he always has been. But he's also 100% human, uh, as he has now been for the past 2,000 years. And, and so it was that human aspect of him being their son that, that uh, put him in a situation where, um, you know, those, those Roman soldiers, for example, treated him the way they did, abused him the way they did, tortured him the way he did. Um, he, he was beyond grieved. He was so pained and such anguish because, because God mixed the two because we needed you know, you, you can't nail a, a, a spirit to a cross. Um, you, you can't have a perfect substitute for sin uh, that's going to die in our place, the death we deserve to pay, the punishment we deserve, and, and much more than that even. Um, you can't have that sort of uh, sacrifice carried out uh, with, a, with a spirit. You have to have a physical person, and that's so Jesus took on flesh. And, and so just as grieved, as Jesus was physically, okay, physically um, in anguish, um, so also 
the Holy Spirit uh, today uh, is grieved uh, when when we, um, you know, in essence, you know, I mean, I, I hate to be too graphic with it, but I mean, it, would it not be almost like we're slapping the Holy Spirit in the face, the way they slap Jesus in the face? I mean, what else might we call it? I, I know we don't want to call it that. You know, let's say we take the Lord's name in vain. Let, let, let's say we gossip about someone. Let's say that we, um, you know, uh, commit, commit, you know, some other sin. And, and here we are, Christians, you know. Um, is that not maybe comparable to slapping the Holy Spirit in the face? Or slapping maybe better yet, slapping Jesus in the face? It's a little bit easier for us to think about Jesus in that context because he's the only one of the three that has a physical body. Um, you know, uh, there's absolutely no indication in, in the Bible that, that the Father of the Holy Spirit um, dwell uh, in, in, in human flesh, but the Son does. So um, isn't it in a way almost like we are slapping Jesus when we just go off and do our own thing and say, my will be done, my kingdom be done. So I, I think, son, you're kind of, I like your phrase, you know, kind of mixing the two. Well, I, I think that's what God did. And I think it's a great, uh, it's a helpful analogy. It's a helpful, not only analogy, it, it, it's a help, helpful um, way to understand the reality of, of what, is, what does it mean when we grieve the Holy Spirit? Comparing it to uh, offending a loved one, a spouse, yes, but even more than that. What did the Roman soldiers do to Jesus? Maybe that's what we're doing to the Holy Spirit when we grieve him. Now, maybe not to that extent, okay? Uh, hopefully not, but, but maybe to a lesser extent. Um, uh, and, and so the more we love the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, naturally, or maybe supernaturally, I would say, the more we're going to want to please him and not grieve him, offend him, hurt him, disappoint, uh, disappoint him, etc. Dan Delzell with me talking about Thy Kingdom Come, Thy Will Be Done, an article from the Christian Post. And one of the things that's hard to to kind of balance when we talk about my will versus thy will, you know, what I want versus what God wants. Oftentimes we think of the good. Okay. I want this, whatever this is, yeah. but then there's also the kind of unintended hardships of my will. For example, you know, people in the past have hurt me. They've done things, you know, there's one particular sure. you know person and incident that I still struggle with. And, you know, yeah. I sometimes sit there and want, something bad to happen to them. I want, uh, you know, sure. um, just, you know, those, those earthly, physical, sinful, fleshly, ill will type thoughts go. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah. you know, and so then I, I balance that. And so that's my will. My will is that something bad happens to this person and yeah. their life sucks. But then on the flip side, it's like, okay, now I got to pray for this person because that's what God would do because nobody has done anything worse to me than yeah. they did to Jesus nailing him on the cross. I can't say this person did something worse to me when Jesus was nailed on the cross and took the sins of the world. This person, right. you know, said something about me. Well, that's not worse than, you know, the weight of the world's sin on the shoulders of Jesus being nailed yeah. to the cross. So yeah. I can't compare the two. So there is no comparison. I can't ever say this happened to me is way worse than what happened to Jesus. And if Jesus can still love, and if Jesus yeah. still has like what the, the song um, Petra, instead of eyes that burn with hate, a look of mm -hmm. love was there. That keeps coming to my mind over and over in situations oh, like this. Yeah. Yeah. You know, he loved them even though they were smacking him around. They loved him even though he was being nailed to the cross. He loved them even though they mocked him. And yet there's times where people do things to us and we just want to burn hate with our eyes into their soul. So when it yeah. comes to that, you know, that to me not justifying it, but it's a little different than, than, than the, the selfish narcissistic. I want this to happen to me. I want to be a superstar. And God's like, no, I want you to, you know, 
be just a homemaker. I want yeah. to yeah. be this, you know. So I think there's a little difference, and 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 I think for me personally, the harder part of my will versus thy will is in those areas where people, like you mentioned, hurt us or do something to us, and we want revenge and we want to get back at them and we want something bad to happen. Yeah. You know, I think of uh, divorcees or people that have been in relationships. Mm-hmm. Oh, you know, sure. You yeah. want something bad to happen to the person that broke your heart because that feels yeah. good. You know, it feels good to get revenge yeah, back on yeah, them. Yeah. And that's my will well, as opposed to yeah. God, thy will bless that person or help me forgive that person or whatever. Yeah. You know, it's interesting, son. And, and I, I think everything you're saying there is just so uh, helpful and, uh, and instructive um, be, because it really does all relate to whether or not I'm going to be living according to my will or thy will, whether or not I'm going to be living with what Christians often talk about with a surrendered life, or you could say a surrendered will. Well, what does a surrendered will look like? Well, um, the more surrendered it is, I mean, ultimately, Jesus on the cross, going to the example you gave, Jesus on the cross uh, saying about even his executioners, their father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Um, That is such an incredible, supernatural kind of love that, I mean, uh, no one has the kind of love that Jesus has for, uh, for people, um, that the Father and the Holy Spirit have, but but we can at least experience that that love in our hearts as we surrender our wills uh, to Him. You know, I, I mentioned an example of the the minister and his wife and the baby that they had, but you know, there's another story that um, that, that, that comes to mind uh, with the famous hymn "It Is Well with My Soul," and and um, what what led the, the author of this hymn um, to write such deep words. Uh, that have brought such deep comfort uh, is that this author went through such deep pain. And many times, son, it is those who go through such intense pain who, if they are then yielded to Christ, if they're yielded to the Holy Spirit, they end up doing the most good in the world. It just kind of has that effect because the deeper the pain, the the deeper God can use you. Well, um, It Is Well With My Soul was written by uh, Horatio Spafford, who was actually son, a successful lawyer in Chicago. Um, he had invested heavily in uh, real estate there along the shores of Lake Michigan. He was a devout Christian, and uh, his wife's name was Anna. And uh, back in 1870, so we're talking now, really, I mean, exactly 150 years ago. So I didn't even think about that, but um, uh, it's an anniversary there of uh, uh, a time that was very painful for them when their only son, uh, Horatio Jr. died of scarlet fever. He was only four years old. So that would have been devastating enough for Horatio and for Anna. But then in 1871, son, um, this successful lawyer who'd invested uh, in real estate there, um, he lost every one of his investments in the great uh, Chicago fire, which took place there in 1871. And, and, you know, you might think, well, wow, I mean, wow, just when you thought, um, you know, here they lost their son. Now he's lost all of his things. I mean, he's starting to sound like Job a little bit. Um, well, I tell you, uh, a couple of years later, um, what happened uh, in his life, son, is that after all that he and his family had been through, the, the pressures, the, the pain of the loss of their four-year-old boy, um, the fire, losing all their investments, um, uh, well, Horatio Spafford decided to take his family on a holiday to England. And, and see, Horatio Spafford's son was actually a good friend of the Billy Graham of his day, D.L. Moody. And D.L. Moody was going to be having a, a crusade there uh, in, 
in England. And so they were going to go over there and kind of have some, some rest time with his family, but also they were going to do some work there for the crusade with D.L. Moody. But right before they were ready to, um, to take the ship across there uh, to England, uh, a business uh, issue came up for Horatio. And, and he really needed to, to stay in town to address that. And so he just, um, he just said to his wife, Anna, why don't you and our, and our daughters, see, they had four daughters, son. He said, why don't you and our daughters, you know, go over there and I'll, I'll, I'll be there shortly and I'll, I'll meet up with you there, but I just need to take care of this. And so um, they went ahead and got on a ship and four days, son, into their transatlantic uh, trip there, their journey, they collided with uh, another ship. And um, in 12 minutes, uh, their ship sank. 226 passengers died. Not all of the passengers, but all four of Horatio and Anna's daughters died. Uh, Anna did not die. And so just a terrible crash. In, in fact, son, uh, that disaster at the time was the worst in naval history. And uh, really up until 40 years later with the sinking of the Titanic. But uh, this was back in 1873. Well, several days after the, the ship sank, um, Anna, Anna made it to uh, the destination, and she sent Horatio a six-word telegram, and it said, saved alone, what shall I do? And so she was living in the agony, the isolation, the pain, and now Horatio as well, you know, uh, across the, the, the other side of the world, basically, uh, the ocean at least. Um, and they're both in such intense pain. Um, I mean, you know, today people living in isolation in their homes with a coronavirus. Well, um, you know, Anne and Horatio were in such pain. And so Horatio started to make his way on a ship to England. And, you know, the captain called for him, son, when um, they were passing a certain spot there in the ocean. And the captain said to him, I believe we are now passing the very area where the ship sank with your family on it. And, you know, son, it was then and there that Horatio would go on to say that, that the Lord gave him um, the lyrics to the great hymn, It Is Well With My Soul. And, and the words that, that say, when peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well. It is well with my soul. Now, I'll tell you what, son, um, you and I and most listeners will probably not go through the kind of uh, Job-like pain that Horatio Spafford went through, but the depth from which he was able to write that about genuine peace, and then he would, he would write then about that same time, he, he wrote this in a journal. He said, on Thursday last, we passed over the spot where the ship went down in mid-ocean, the waters three miles deep, but I do not think of our dear ones there. They are safe, dear lambs. I mean, son, how in the world does a father have that perspective, that grace, that comfort, that ability to pen a hymn 150 years ago that has blessed millions since then? It is well, it is well with my soul. I'll tell you, son, anytime any human being goes through uh, pain and sorrow and loss, and everyone does, um, there would be few stories or certainly hymns that a person could turn to and say, I'm not the first one to have gone through pain. And if Horatio uh, Spafford and his wife Anna could experience peace that, that just passes human understanding in that situation, oh, dear Lord, help me. Help me to surrender my will to you even in this 
tragedy beyond tragedy almost. And, and so, son, you uh, thank you for allowing me to share that. a little bit of a longer story, but um, but one that is so profound and, and, and just so meaningful in, in the message that it brings. And I think it's uh, well worth telling, too, because even though we aren't maybe going to be going through something like that, like you mentioned, today we yep. are kind of going through some uncertainty and people don't really know. And they're putting their their hopes and dreams and essentials and in toilet paper and in physical things when in actuality that peace that would be it is well with my soul would come from God's will. If somebody yeah. is listening yeah. and doesn't matter where their faith is, zero to yeah. a thousand, but yeah. in this time we want that reassurance of God's peace so that when we're going through these hard times, we can say it is yeah. well with my soul. How can somebody get that? Well, I'll tell you, son, um, I think um, just as I'm sure anyone listening would have been picturing, trying to picture some of those things I described with the, the ship and, and everything, um, I, I would invite um, every one of us to, to think about a photograph that was taken back in 1989, and you can look it up online uh, very easily and find it, but it was up a lighthouse off the coast of Brittany, France. And, and it was this, this, this just solid fortress, this lighthouse, this brick, just structure. And this lighthouse keeper had stepped outside there um, uh, and, and, was, and was visible there in, in the photo. Uh, and this lighthouse keeper had been taking refuge there in the lantern room of the tower because, as you see in the photo, this massive wave is just exploding around the lighthouse. And, and so to answer your, your uh, question there, Son, or to invite someone to, to look at Jesus, I, I would simply invite a person to consider this. You know, um, as they think about that photo, do you think of that, that lighthouse keeper? Do you think about him um, being in danger, or do you think about him being safe? Do you think about him that, you know, boy, the wave's going to destroy him, or do you think, boy, good thing he's got that lighthouse? And now, my friend, um, whereas that picture might even – um, Lee, do you think, well, I kind of feel like that lighthouse keeper in my own home right now. As the waves of coronavirus and, and as they hit the economy, as they hit, you know, uh, people's lives, people are dying. I kind of feel like that, that lighthouse keeper in my own fortress. My friend, here's all you need to do to become a Christian. Um, if you will begin to look at that lighthouse, not as your, not as your physical home, not as your structure, but rather as the Lord Jesus himself, um, if you'll look at him the way he's spoken of in Psalm 18, the Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge. This is what it means to know Christ, to know that you have the rock covering you, surrounding you, living in you, you and him, you know, Christ in you and, and you in Christ, and the waves of sin, death, the coronavirus, suffering, pain, um, everything else that the world can throw at a person, if you are in Christ, you are safe. The waves will threaten, uh, circumstances will threaten, sin will threaten. But if you are in Christ by faith, you will be safe. Just as Horatio Spafford said those beautiful words about his, his daughters who were in heaven, he said, they are safe, dear lambs. Today, Jesus is the good shepherd. You can become one of his sheep, one of his lambs by trusting him as your savior. Um, you know, Jesus is knocking on the door of your heart, perhaps right now. 
Maybe you're inside that lighthouse. And, and maybe for you, that lighthouse has been your religion. Or maybe it's been your money. Or maybe it's been your morality. Or maybe it's been your, your strong will and, and your ability to succeed in life. But, but, but maybe you realize that the waves around you are too strong. And, they're, and it's going to crash down upon you. And the structure you're in is not strong enough. Well, you need Jesus to come in. He'll transform that, that lighthouse. He will become that lighthouse for you. The person of Jesus will be your lighthouse in the midst of the storm. He will enter you. You will enter in, in with Christ. And so the Bible uses this beautiful phrase many, many times, what it means to be in Christ. So picture that, my friend. Picture a lighthouse. Picture that lighthouse representing Jesus and you being in Christ. There is no wave. There is no wave that can destroy you when you are in Christ. And so today, will you trust him as your Savior? Will you receive him as both your Savior and your Lord? Will you submit your will to him? I tell you, if you will, you're on a journey. You'll begin a journey that will last forever in paradise. But it begins with a step of faith where you say yes to Jesus, where you receive him by faith, and then he'll come to live in you. The Holy Spirit will as well. As Son and I have talked about that a lot today also. And so just keep that mental image in your mind because you're going to have waves. Everybody does. So we're going to be huge waves. What is your lighthouse, my friend? Is it, is it something you brought to the table or is it the Lord of the universe? Today it can become Christ and you'll never be the same and you'll never regret it. I assure you. Dan Delzell, author of the, uh, Articles on the ChristianPost.com, also a pastor in Papillion, Nebraska. And if someone wants to reach out to you, maybe email, where can they find you? They could email me, son, at Dan Delzell, D-A-N-D-E-L-Z-E-L-L, at Cox, C-O-X dot net. And I'd, I'd be more than happy to, uh, to uh, you know, take any, any thoughts, questions, uh, engage in dialogue on, on any of these topics or, or other topics as well. And uh, you can find me, the best place probably to find me is on Instagram at Edom Rocks, E-I-D-E-M-R-O-C-K-S. You can also email me if you want at uh, sonedom at gmail.com. But uh, Dan, thanks so much for your time to uh, spending with us and sharing with us this uh, conversation today about thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Again, an article that can be found on the thechristianpost.com. Just uh, search it and it'll come up. And then also, like I mentioned earlier, if you want to hear other conversations, you can go to... Uh, podbean.com and just search Edom Rocks Radio spelled E-I-D-E-M-R-O-C-K-S radio and it'll pop up and um, and there's other conversations that we've had there that you can listen to and again just uh, thank you for listening Dan thanks so much for your time we really appreciate it and we look forward to the next time well and thank you son for your ministry for Christ and for what you're doing with the, the Edom Rocks podcast uh, it's just a joy to be able to, to have these conversations with you And again, thanks for listening. Do tell a friend. And until next time, God bless.
Glow.